Welcome to the Alaskan Journey Podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help you to build an intentional and significant legacy for yourself and your families by helping, by coaching you in real estate. And as a part of that mission, I make it my my job and responsibility to really show you what Alaska is really like. And in that vein, that's really what the purpose of this podcast is, to really show you the authentic people and lifestyles of those who actually live up here already, to really give you that perspective. And we've got an awesome guest today. Um, her name is Bethany. She runs a great YouTube channel called Alaska Relic Hunter. And I mean, she has all sorts of fun adventures with going out and finding um, historical stuff around the state and um, you know a bunch of different... A bunch of different adventures she's going on as well with diving and traveling across the world and, you know, really doing a lot of stuff here. I'm going to let her talk a little bit more about herself, but please, please welcome Bethany. <laughs> Hello. There you go. Okay. We got you. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Good deal. All right. Well, Bethany, um, let's, let's go ahead and just jump in here then. Um, I guess the first question I would have... Um, can you go ahead and explain to explain to the listeners what you know your your YouTube channel and everything that you do? Because I mean, you are wearing a lot of different hats and and doing a lot of a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, well, I wanted to say thanks for having me on. I always enjoy sharing my adventures, and that's part of the reason I started my YouTube channel. I started my adventures about four years ago. And kind of a funny story, it was an accidental. <laughs> I was out hiking with my family. We were gonna, um, my ex and I were gonna take the kids and do some gold panning, just kind of have a family day out. And we were walking through the woods and we noticed some old bottles sticking up out of the ground. And I've always really been into history. And so we started digging around and we had come across an early 1900s bottle dump from an old mining camp, which um, we ended up finding incredible things. We grabbed some sticks the first day and just started digging down in there. And we found miners' carbide lanterns and pocket watches and oh, wow. old shoes and coins and bottles. <laughs> and uh, I was just, I was hooked. I didn't know that until that time that people traveled and found history like that. I, I thought it was more of a archeological thing. And so I started researching shortly after that, um, got my first metal detector, started learning how to use that and just started researching, finding out that there's so much history that's lost, you know, all over the world, but here in Alaska, even though Alaska is a really young state, there's a lot of history that's just buried and people are walking across it. They have no idea. So that's kind of where my passion started to research, find the history that's been lost and tell the story of those people that left it behind. Man, and that's that's such a that's such a what was it a mother load like right off the get-go there that you <laughs> found that. You found something that was like legitimately <laughs> like miners who were up here, like just left that stuff there. And that's, that's awesome. 
It was, it was, I have to say to this day, even four, almost five years later, I've never found a bottle dump like that. It was three seasons, three summers of digging on it. And there's probably still something left there. It was just massive amounts of relics that were there. And so it definitely, I got addicted. And at that point, um, it just kind of took off on its own. I was able to make a trip over to the UK for about a month and um, did some metal detecting over on the border of Wales and then did what they call mudlarking. You can get a permit and collect relics off of the Thames foreshore. And so that's when I kind of branched out out of Alaska. But there's so much right here in our state to be found still. Right. So I guess one question I have when you're going and looking for stuff, do you have something specifically in mind that you're looking for? Or are you just trying to keep your keep your eyes and senses open for just anything? Like what what's going through your mind as you're as you're looking for stuff? Well, I do a lot of research ahead of time. Um, I use a lot of different online sources, libraries, um, find a lot of areas. You can find history of where there were gold camps, where there were railroad camps, where there's old cabins. And if you do your research, you have to find out, you know, who owns the property, see if you can get permission to go in. If it's state land, you can, you know, go in and metal detect and all of that. And we're really blessed that we have a lot of state land. And, um, so yeah, you know, it's a process of finding an area and then finding out, okay, do I have permission? Can I get permission to go on that area? And then gridding out an area with metal detector. Your your senses do come into, I've learned over the years how to read the ground and kind of tell which area would be like an old privy hole. Um, years ago in their privy holes or their outhouse holes, they would throw their trash in. And so as they used it, it would fill up with trash. When it was full, they would bury it and then dig another hole. So privy holes, I mean, it sounds kind of weird, but they're a great place (laughs) to find hundred-year-old relics. (laughs) And um, everything's decomposed. It's not nasty. (laughs) It's like... Just just became a plumber. Good job. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, it's um I've had some really cool opportunities. I have a, a friend. Um her and her family um own an old ghost town up in Alaska. And um so That's she... that's such an interesting concept to me. They own a ghost town. Yeah. Well, so, um, the old, the old town of chicken, Alaska is one of the places that it's a historical spot right now, but the land around it is privately owned. And so I was really blessed in that I got to be the first person invited to come in and metal detect the old ghost town. And, So that was a real, real epic trip for me. I spent about a week up in Chicken. Um, I got to spend a night alone in one of the old buildings in the ghost town. 
and did some cool YouTube videos with that. Did some uh, gold dredging on the 40 mile when I was up there with a friend that had a six inch dredge. And so, yeah, just had a good experience and it's really fun. I got to share all of that um, on my YouTube channel. Good deal. Yeah. And people are definitely going to have to go check that out. Um, I guess one question I do have then, so we got started, we found the, you know, found kind of that little dump site with all of the the miners gear and bottles and stuff. Um, where did, I guess, how did you start kind of refining your, I guess the skill set and, you know, looking for these artifacts? Is it something you were just kind of self-taught? Did you have somebody who kind of I'm guided you along the way. What, um, what did that process look like? Um, yeah, you know, just, you just kind of start and you learn as you go along. There's YouTube is really just a wealth of knowledge. And as I started researching, I found out that there was a lot of people around the world in other places that do the same thing. They look for history, they find it, and they're willing to share their adventures. So, watching, learning from others. And um, yeah, you just kind of get a metal detector and you try it. And <laughs> you learn a lot as you go along. <laughs> oh, good deal. Um, so we've looked up in chicken, uh, heard about that one. What are some other, other areas that you've gone and explored as well? Well, my newest exploration is under the ocean. So in the last year, um, about a year, almost a year ago, I had a big life change, went through a divorce and just really needed, needed something for me and kind of some self-care and to give me a new drive in life. And so I just spontaneous one day called up a dive shop and I said, Hey, <laughs> how much to scuba dive? <laughs> <laughs> Always kind of wanted to do it. And so I just overnight signed up for a class and absolutely fell in love with it. So I've added that to my relic hunting, which diving on sunken ships is just incredible. I've been able to find just a lot of cities through their trash into the ocean a hundred years ago. And so there's a lot of relics in the ocean and it's been fun. I spent, um, let me see, I think it was two or three days. I've gone a couple of times down to Seattle and near Seattle. I've done some diving with some friends, used some underwater metal detectors, found some incredible history left there trade tokens from a hundred years ago, old coins, just some, what's, um, what's a trade token. So, um, a lot of, you know, a hundred, 200 years ago, a lot of small businesses would make something that would work in the place of like a currency. It, they look, they're round like a coin and they might say, um, for use only, at and then whatever the store name was. So like when I was down there, I found trade tokens that were for use um, only at the Seattle school district, or some of them were for amusement houses. And so they could use it in place of money, but only at that place of business. So it encouraged people to come in and, and spend money 
at these different businesses. Gotcha. Okay. Because, yeah, I know that, um, what was it, like a lot of like coal towns, uh, mining towns did that quite a bit where it was um, like the trading tokens and essentially it was just company money you were going in there and and spending in there is absolutely worthless outside of there. So that's that's uh, how they kept people in the mines. But um, yeah, exactly. And that's what these stores did. And so if um, one of my videos I did on the finding the trade tokens and metal detecting under the water, you can go on and see kind of what they look like there's and it was designed for each store. Like you said, it kind of kept people going back to that place. Gotcha. And yeah, you've got a ton of good videos about, you know, just diving and, you know, what that all looks like. Um, I guess, can you, what's probably your most interesting Alaska-centered dive you've gone on so far? And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the more exotic locations here in a bit here, <laughs> but <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about what's your, your favorite Alaskan dive you've gone on so far. Um, well, so far, there's a really good dive location out of Seward. You can take a water taxi out to Fox Island and get dropped off. And there's a World War II ship that sank out there not too far off of the island. And it was a, a Navy barge. And so that's, that's one of my favorite places to dive up here in Alaska. That and I think runner up with that would be I flew over last November to Juneau and dove um, in the Gastineau Channel out there close to the Treadwell Mines. Mm. Amazing history has been lost down there in the channel. Um, some, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the name, the Treadwell Mines, but a lot of people don't really know the history of that. And in the early 1900s, it was one of the highest producing gold mines in the world. And with all of that, they ended up making uh, one of their, when they were digging, <laughs> um, one of their shafts accidentally or somehow went under the Gastineau Channel and it ended up collapsing. Mm -hmm. And the force from the Gastineau Channel um, shot so much water up into the mines that it created these huge cave-ins and that was the demise of these very profitable gold mines. So with the cave-in, you have all sorts of early 1900s history that has ended up in the, in the bottom of the channel like that. So I was able to dive for really old bottles, um, dishes, really amazing pieces of history that are just lost in there. Man, and that's that's definitely something you wouldn't even think of unless you, you know, unless you were looking specifically for that. Because I mean, I would not, you know, I'd hear about a mind collapsing, just the my normal way of thinking. It's like, oh well, that sucks. And that's <laughs> really about the the last last thing I would think about it. But okay, that's that's actually a really good point. So with the stuff that you find down there, is it like well preserved and? like the water that's in that area. I know like the, the saltiness kind of erodes it over time, but 
Um, I guess does the, well, I keep thinking like the water is like really cold here, but I mean, it's ocean water. It's, it's going to be cold everywhere. So. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's still, I mean, the salt, uh, the, the water in Juneau is pretty salty and, um, it's still, it's going to corrode all of your metals. It's going to eat away at all that. And there's a very special process that when you pull bottles or, you know, dishes out of the water, you have to deal with the salt issue with it. So steamship, like plates and bowls like that, that are ceramic, if you don't use salt away or something like that to pull the salt out of them, the crystals will expand and end up creating cracks. And so there's kind of a treatment process that you have to understand and figure it out. It's, it's different than when you're doing a surface bottle dump, when you're pulling things out of the ground, the glass comes out, maybe covered with rust or something like that. But I use a uh, citric acid soak and can get rid of the rust. It's just different treatments for, you know, different environments. Right. Right. Okay. So I guess with the, the mine then, I mean, Juno's, obviously still there and the mines not it's not operational anymore is it like the last time no. i was there yeah no the the mines shut down in the 1920s and so the mines were across the channel from juno they they're actually on douglas island so and a lot of people get confused and think that douglas island is juno which I initially thought that myself. But once you cross over the Gastineau Channel, you're over on Douglas. And that's where the community of Douglas was. And it was a thriving community. These mines, there was four mines that made up the Treadwell Mines there. And the amount of gold and miners and families that were there it was very advanced for its time. They had an indoor swimming pool. They had tennis courts, very well-built constructed houses, clubs for entertainment. Um, it was just a, a whole thriving city there, the most advanced town during that time in Alaska. Ah, so that's how Juno became our capital. well i'm not sure but it was uh it was the collapse really affected a lot of people it was a big big event that happened so they're i guess did they not even try to i guess fix it and and keep drilling or at that point was it just just beyond you know it's a really amazing place to visit um the history that's left there they're um working on trying to restore some of the original buildings um, for historical reasons. I really think it would be a great thing for people to go and visit there because you have to kind of see where it sits um, to understand once those mines collapsed, there was no way to go back in. They were tunneling underneath a massive channel there's there's no way for them to start that over again and it's really amazing there wasn't a loss of life when it started leaking and collapsing um they got everyone out so that was you know a big thing but when you look at it 
you can understand more why there was no way to fix it. Got it. Okay. Well, I, I guess that does make sense then. And um, I do bring this up um, just to kind of show all the the different overlapping history that you really have throughout Alaska and kind of the unique development we've had as a state. Um, I mean, I actually did stay in Douglas Island. I have a you know brother that um, uh, lives across the the channel in Juneau and you know, that little island over there. And um, I mean, he was actually saying, you know, I'm pretty sure this place is haunted. And then he found out later, I'm not sure if this is true or not. Um, It's not somebody call me out on it. But um, he said, you know, I think there was actually a, um, a story about like a small native tribe out here that essentially just got massacred by like Russian trappers when they were coming through. So I guess there's, there's a, yeah, I'm not, yeah. not sure if that's true or not, or if you've heard anything from, you know, this is more your area of expertise. So <laughs> not well, sure if you've you heard know, anything about that. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm just starting to do a little bit more research about some of the Alaska native history. And part of that is, um, not, ha- not being an archeologist at this point, if I run into something that is Alaska native, I can't touch it. I have to immediately leave and walk away. It's something that's very sacred. And so that's something I've kind of avoided any areas. Really? <laughs> that, that's, that's fat. I hadn't realized that was a, so if you're, I guess, you know, air quote, official archeologist, you have to, I guess, just call it in phone it in at that point to somebody or (laughs) definitely. Yeah. And you would have to get, there are so many hoops to jump through to be involved in any archeology span that is native history. It's a very, you know, rightly so protected area in our state because you don't want people going in and digging up graves or destroying that history. So, but it's, the historical archaeology, which is kind of what they consider like gold mine era, all of that, that's a little bit more open to people who are just metal detectorists. You can get in there and find stuff from the 1800s, early 1900s. Once you start going back earlier than that into Alaska Native time, there's just a lot of more uh, laws and rules, and you need to make sure you have all your licenses and everything in place before you touch anything like that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that's, that is good to know then. That is good to know. I guess I will uh, be careful if I'm ever out in the woods and stumble across something. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) No, but there's so much history um, after that, that's just waiting to be found. And, you know, we have the gold mine era. And then after that, we have several different time periods where I find history. You have the Alaska Railroad history. The construction was just, it was a monumental project going from Seward up to Fairbanks. And it's been amazing to be able to find some of those areas, see the history that's left behind the, you know, the axes and railroad the railroad tools, um, 
you know, that kind of thing that I've done a couple drop-offs with the Alaska Railroad. They've dropped me off in some very remote locations. And I've spent a couple days out there finding some some <laughs> remnants of camps that even the Alaska Railroad doesn't know is out there. <laughs> so they so, literally just like kick you out the door and say, have fun. <laughs> and then you stand by the track when you're ready to be picked up again. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Alaska is one of the few places um, in the world that they still have flag stops. And you can arrange on some of our trains to get dropped off in a certain location, a certain mile post. And um, you tell them, hey, about this day, I want to be picked up. And you just wait alongside the track and they'll get you. That's awesome. All right. Well, I uh, got a good idea how I'm going to get to some more remote camping sites now. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. All right. So let's, let's go and switch gears then. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of overlapping history. You've done a lot of really cool, you know, sites and digs here in Alaska. What are some, I guess, more exotic, uh, places you've gone recently to, um, (laughs) to go look for stuff? (laughs) Well, um, obviously, you know, I was talking to you earlier. I just got back from Egypt um, eight, seven or eight days ago. So I'm still trying to transition back into the snow. I love the, the warm 85 degree weather over there right now, (laughs) but that was probably my most exotic trip so far and did some diving. I was in Sharm El Sheikh, um, on the Red Sea there for about six days, did about five days of diving And that's definitely my favorite um, area that I dove on a sunken ship out there. There's a very historic ship that went down in World War II out in the Red Sea. And it was a cargo ship. It's called the Thistlegorm. And it had all of the equipment needed for the British troops that were in Africa in World War II. And, um, very sad story. They actually didn't lose very many lives, but it was full of trucks and motorcycles and, um, railroad cars and supplies, boots, just everything that the soldiers needed there in Africa during that time. And the Germans sank it while it was at anchor one evening the interesting thing about this ship is that everything has pretty much just been left as it went down. The bomb um, hit one side, so there's one area that was destroyed. But when you dive down to it, it's it's at about 100 feet under the water. And when you dive down, there's rows of motorcycles still stacked up in it. There's, you know, a couple old World War II trucks that are still side by side sitting in the bottom. And, you know, you find boots everywhere in there. <laughs> it's my um, my son, who's almost 18. He did this trip with me and he, was, he picked up some of these boots and he looked at me and he said afterwards, he kept thinking, man, I hope I don't find any bones in these. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Hopefully not. 
Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> That's how an 18-year-old's going to think. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, immediately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that was... Uh, that's probably definitely my, my favorite. It's a very historic shipwreck to dive and did two dives on that. My first time warm water diving since I learned to dive up here in Alaska. And so that was, that was really nice to dive some of those reefs. It's some of the top places in the world to dive is in the Red Sea. Is there any big difference between cold water diving and warm water diving? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's, it's not yeah. just a matter of getting a different wetsuit then. No. So, um, in Alaska you dive with a dry suit and, um, with the dry suit, it changes everything up. You have to have a class and a special certification to dry suit dive because there's just a lot of different things to it. It, you fill it with air as you need to, change the pressure in it and to help you stay warm. So as you rise to the surface, that air can expand and you can be like a rocket balloon headed to the surface <laughs> if you don't know how to dump the air back out of your suit. Gotcha. So, Envisioning like a big puffer fish just rocketing to the surface. <laughs> and uh, that has happened more times than than you realize. And people will come shooting out and with with the dangers of decompression illness and that sort of thing, it's something that you have to be trained to know how to use a dry suit. What's so, a, what's decompression illness? So, decompression illness is a lot of people have heard about the bends, and the technical name is decompression illness. And what happens is when you're under the water, you have a buildup of nitrogen in your body when you're breathing from the tank. And if you surface too quickly, all those little nitrogen bubbles don't have a chance to, to be breathed out or what we call off-gassing. So if you don't stand underneath the water long enough to let those come out of your system, they can turn into big bubbles and um, end up killing you. They can, you can have a stroke or heart attack or, you know, long issues. So that's why you'll hear about people, you know, doing decompression stops. They stop at certain levels underneath the water and hang out and, you know, breathe out some of that extra until it's safe to slowly surface. Mm, okay. So yeah. that's, uh, yeah. Okay. That's a little different. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a little bit more to diving in Alaska because you have the dry suit and all the thick undergarments. You have to add a lot of extra weight just to get you to descend. So when I, when I dive here in Alaska in the winter with all my thick winter undergarments, I have to add about an additional 40 pounds. So my whole pack is going to weigh about 90 pounds. And when you dive in warm water, I dive with an additional 10 pounds. So, and a wetsuit. And so it's definitely easier in warm water. Gotcha. Well, I just learned a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Don't get me started talking on diving. It's definitely <laughs> my new passion. So. Oh, that's I'm awesome. Working my way right now. My goal with it is eventually to be an instructor. And 
So I'm kind of working my way up. I have my advanced certification now. And in about two weeks, I'm going to be headed uh, back down to Florida. I've been there a couple of times this year doing some diving. And I'm going to be down there taking a rescue diver class and a few things like that just to continue working my way on that project. Oh, outstanding. And I mean, that can only help you with... um... You know, finding artifacts here too, I imagine. But oh, definitely. Good deal. So what are, I guess, some other things that you found while in Egypt? I mean, did you guys find a mummy or um, <laughs> well, discover I, anything like that? Or what, uh, <laughs> what were some of the highlights for you? <laughs> we talked about I the did, ship. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I did find my oldest piece of pottery and Everybody that knows me said, of course, you're a relic hunter. You had to find pottery. (laughs) Um, Yeah, when I got a private guide, there was five of us um, that got a private guide to go to Saqqara, which is the where they have the six-step pyramid. And most people, when they think about the pyramids, they think about the Great Pyramids in Giza and I did go there as well. Didn't spend a lot of time. It's kind of touristy there. And a lot of the (laughs) locals. (laughs) Yeah, right. And a lot of the locals are, you know, pressuring you to buy things, to ride their camels, to do all of that. And so I only spent like maybe an hour there. I just, that's not, I like the out of the way. I like to kind of go do my own thing and find different things, get in with the locals and, So we were able to get a local guide who was born and raised in Saqqara, and he took us to see the tombs there of King Titi and his scribes and all of that, which that's one, that is the only pyramid that still has all the original hieroglyphics inside. And some of them have been stolen, but most of them are there and it's just amazing. It's incredible. I have, I'm working on a YouTube video right now from walking inside the scribe's tomb. It's just mind blowing all of the carving and the detail in all of the hieroglyphs. And so while we were there outside, um, it is an archeological area and I was, we were just walking around and, and there on the ground is the bottom of a pot. And when we picked it up, it still has part of the um, hieroglyph on it, the eye of raw. And I just about cried. It was like, you know, 4,000 year old pottery, you know, holding it in my hand here. And so that was, that was a really amazing thing for me to be in that spot, find the pottery. And um, yeah, I caught myself inside the tombs whispering because it just almost felt like this sacred place to be just after seeing it my whole life and to be in there, you know, just putting my hands on that that's so old and pieces of people's lives from it's such a different culture from Alaska. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, it was, it's definitely, I'm really looking forward to getting those YouTube videos out. I think people are really going to enjoy seeing it. Just, you know, different perspective when you're from Alaska and you go over and see really ancient history like that. 
I mean, I kind of experienced that when I went over to um, uh, went over to to London a couple of years ago and went to the um, the British Museum there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I mean, we can we can get all upset about the uh, you know British taking this, British taking that. <laughs> and taking it over there, but I gotta admit, it's pretty cool seeing everything consolidated in one spot. That's uh, I'll let the politics play themselves out. I'm just saying that's cool and convenient for me right this minute. Yeah, no, I um, I spent almost a month over there in the UK, and um, that was the beginning of my international travels. And like you said, the history there that's that's what really got me over there was I was on the border of Wales um, for almost two weeks metal detecting metal detecting over in Shropshire and to be able to pull out coins from the 1600s out of the ground is just you know some of the people in our group we ended up finding a hoard of coins that was from about 1000 and um it's just so old, the Roman coins, the history, you know, went to the town of Bath and went to see the Roman baths and all the Roman coins. And it's just so old. Yeah. Like you said, it's impressive to go over there and it's metal detecting in the UK is a very, very popular thing. I have hundreds of friends that metal detect that follow me that are over there and there's so much history to find every year. The farmers turn up their fields and these coins are just popping out from 500 years ago, a thousand years ago. And it's just all under the ground there. I feel like they're probably just way more aware of the history surrounding them on a regular basis than maybe we are here in the U S because I mean, just, you know, just stuff like, you know, plowing the field or, you know, they found the bones of like, you know, the last Plantagenet um, um, King Richard III while they were, you know, it was in a parking lot and they were, uh, they got permission to go look. They did. And there he is and <laughs> confirmed <laughs> it was actually him with the DNA test and everything. Absolutely fascinating. But, um, but yeah, I feel like over there specifically in London, they just have a bigger concept maybe they grasp it a little bit better that they're surrounded by history and well and i think it's in their everyday life and it's everywhere you look i spent some time in this cute little town oswestry and the you walk down the street and they have the buildings that are there have the dates that they were made on them and some of them are like 1558 and 1650 and they have plaques on the buildings from when they were made. I think they are so surrounded by history. They leave their homes and they walk past history. Um, yeah. I mean, it's everywhere you look. You're in London and, you know, it's you've got the Tower of London, which that was a really amazing place to visit, too. I just absolutely loved that. And, um, yeah, all of it. It's just everywhere you look. Yeah. Um, I guess now as you're coming back to like Alaska, do you kind of find yourself maybe with a heightened sense of awareness of being surrounded by, you know, obviously it's a different kind of history. We don't have, you know, the 
history of um, you know wars and um, all this other stuff raging across our uh, across our uh, our landscape here, obviously. And the Romans never uh, never had a chance to to make it over here. I'm sure that uh, sure was on their to do list. <laughs> and um, but yeah, do you kind of find yourself with a heightened sense of kind of awareness of history as you're um, just living up here in Alaska now? Um, you know, I think it it all comes together more and more. It's just a bigger world picture. The more I travel, um, I love Alaska summers and the fall. I I was born and raised in interior Alaska. And so I've just reached a point where I'm kind of tired of the winters. <laughs> and that's why I started you know, traveling around the world in the winters to get out a little bit. And, but, you know, it's, it's a bigger picture. I took a class last summer, um, Alaska native history through the college. And that was really good for me where I was born and raised was really close to, uh, an Atna Athabascan, um, native village. And so my whole uh, thought process of the Alaska natives surrounded what I knew in that location. And so as I took that class and as I started traveling to other locations, the different native groups in other locations, Juneau, um, around the state, I think you get a bigger picture for culture and the people in Alaska, I think we can kind of get real narrow-minded and we just, our community is, is how we view everything. And I find myself much more open-minded to everyone here in my own state, just after traveling, seeing the different um, cultures, religions, thought processes. I think it's been very good for me to come back here. And just, I think I find myself responding differently just to the people around me. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, I'm obviously a history nerd myself here. Um, how, after kind of spending so much time looking for history and literally holding it in your hands, how has this kind of, I guess, shaped, you know, has it kind of shaped your, your perception on, on how you live your life after, you know, seeing the, the passing of time and, and kind of, um, I'm seeing that in your, in your explorations. Um, it's definitely changed me. It's uh, it's hard to describe you. One of the things that actually brought me to tears was something so small and insignificant, but this is one of the aspects. So I was digging in a um, bottle dump from the 1930s and I pulled out a milk glass container and the lid disintegrated. And when I looked down, there was some cold cream left in the bottom and there was four tiny fingerprints of a woman that she had scraped out the cold cream. And I just sat there and it touched me in such a deep way to realize that's all that was left of her was those fingerprints. And mm. I, I was holding that her life had come and gone. She had lived there and it just brought me this new sense of time and everyone, you know, your life, you don't know how long it's going to be and it's gone and over what you leave behind. 
you know, it's, it's the memories and what you do with your family and the positive impact you have. And for me, I've gone through a lot of different things in life that have just made me realize I'm living my life to the fullest right now. And I have a lot of people that ask me, you know, I'm a single mom. I have three teenage boys. How do I do this? How do I make it happen? And I just make it happen. It, it hit me not that long ago that I don't know how long my life is. A lot of people I talk to, they say, well, when I retire, when I'm financially in a better place, I'm going to stop and live my dream. <laughs> you know, go travel, go metal detect. I've had so many people tell me, oh, I want to learn to dive someday. I've always wanted to scuba dive. And I am at the point where I tell them, just go do it. Make it happen right now. Go live that dream. Do it right now. You wait. So many people wait until they retire and they pass away in a few years. It's they put that dream off. So that's kind of where I'm at in my life. All of this, seeing the history has just made me realize that I am living my life right now. And I'm going to try to live my dreams now. This is what I teach my boys. And, you know, if it's something that you have a heart to do, then find a way, make it happen. Stop giving yourself excuses. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree with that. Because, I mean, I, I know that um, there's kind of a perception sometimes if you really focus on history a lot, there's, um, you know, you're backward looking and it's not really looking to the future. But really, I've, I've found kind of historically oriented people are very anchored in what's going on right now. And it's just used as a good way to, to kind of help them make sense of what's going on around them and uh, kind of draw lessons from history. Definitely. I definitely agree. I think that it gives you a different world perspective on, you know, where we're going right now, where we've been. And it teaches you that life is short. You look over generations and centuries of history of people that have come and gone. And, you know, what did they leave behind that sort of thing. So kind of gives you an urgency to live your life and you know, impact people right now, leave something for the next generation. Absolutely. So what's, what's next for you? You know, we've obviously, you know, you know, taken a look at some of these, um, some of these projects that you've had around the state here and, you know, you're continuing to, to travel abroad. And um, so what's, what's coming up next for you? Yeah, well, I'm excited. I got to, uh, the end of this month, I have a trip coming up. I'm going to be um, near Las Vegas for a couple of days. And uh, weird thing is, every time I go to Las Vegas, I never gamble. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I go and you know dive the Hoover Dam, and I last year found um, a Las Vegas World War II bottle dump. And so I'm always finding history. So I'm going to have a couple days um, near Las Vegas again. Going to do some more diving and exploring. Um, and then I'm going to be down in Florida for a little bit, working on some more diving certifications. My next uh, big trip that I have coming up is probably going to be this fall. I got invited by a pretty well-known metal detectorist down in South Africa. 
Um, he's been written up in some journals and stuff. I've been invited by him to go down to South Africa for a couple of weeks. And uh, he's finding some incredible um, silver and gold um, and coins and stuff like that from 100 to 200 years ago, some Spanish stuff. And so that's my next big plan. Um, my 14 year old wants to learn to scuba dive. So I think I might take him with me and see if we can do some diving down there off of South Africa and, uh, yeah, trying to make that trip come together. Well, it sounds awesome. (laughs) I like that. I like that plan. Oh, outstanding. Okay. Well, Bethany, this, this has been great then, um, you know, where can people find you if they have, you know, if they have questions or, you know, they want to kind of follow you and, and see what your journey looks like? Well, um, my personal, um, I have kind of a public page on Facebook that's Bethany Alaska Relic Hunter. So they can find me there. I have kind of a more business page on Facebook. It's Alaska Relic Hunters. And then I'm on YouTube. And it's Alaska Relic Hunter, as well as Instagram. So, yeah, people can find me. I'm trying to get one to two new videos out every week on YouTube. Love to talk to people about relic hunting and diving. So, encourage people to please get a hold of me, share it. And, uh, yeah, just love to talk to people about it if they want to. Outstanding. Well, Bethany, again, I really do appreciate your time today then. Um, you know, for the rest of you, thanks for, uh, thanks for sticking around. And um, I do also have a YouTube channel also at Alaska Realtor. And there we do answer the questions of those who are looking at moving to Alaska. And so definitely do go check that out. Use that as a resource. And, you know, other than that, I do appreciate your time. And we'll see you next time. <music>